since I've been traveling around and speaking, a lot of people say I look like Morris Chestnut, but they say that I look like this other guy. He's kind of a B-list actor. Oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, it starts it's with a D. Denzel something. Um, what, what was it? What would you say? Washington. Yes, yes, I've been getting that a lot lately. You know, um, actually, I really don't get that, but you're like, oh, we know, bro. Um, but it's funny because when I used to travel around and speak a whole lot, uh, I used to tell people that, and most people would kind of laugh like you guys normally did because I'm giving myself a compliment more than I deserve. Well, one time I said that, and a lady came up to me afterwards, and she says, you know something? You do kind of look like Denzel. And after she said that, this thought hit me. If you say something enough, somebody will believe you. So I just want to say, for all you single guys, you keep putting on ChristianMingle.com that you got money, you good looking, and like... Somebody will believe you, so I just want to let you guys know that. You know, so we're in this series, uh, Radical Teachings of Jesus, and, you know, Pastor Adam was saying, um, you know, not sure if anything good comes out of Michigan, and I actually agree, because I'm not really from Michigan. I'm from Louisiana, like born and raised in Louisiana. I'm talking about crawfish eating, sweet tea drinking, alligator chasing from Louisiana. Can I get an amen up in here? So anyway, so that's where I'm from, but I'm excited about this series as we jump into the radical teachings of Jesus. Now, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, I want to invite you to get to Matthew chapter 6, and then once you find Matthew chapter 6, I want you to put a bookmark there or on your app, get to Matthew chapter 6, and then look at Philippians chapter 4. So Matthew chapter 6, Philippians chapter 4. Now, while you're getting there, here's what I want to say about Jesus. What I find fascinating about him is that he was both radical and relatable at the same time. See, we live in a culture where people kind of think, if you're going to be radical, if you're going to be passionate about Jesus, then you're going to kind of lose your relatability, so you got to tone down your radical beliefs if you're going to be relatable. Whereas Jesus is the opposite. Jesus was both radical and relatable. He was radical to the religious elite, but he was relatable to the everyday folk. Do we got any everyday folk up in here? I'm talking about people with a mortgage and a minivan. I'm talking about teenagers and young adults and people who are trying to find their way to God. That's who Jesus was relatable to. You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this episode from the life of Jesus where one day Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people. He's on his way to heal this religious leader's daughter. And people are everywhere. They're just trying to get close to him because he's just so fascinating. Where there's a woman who the old King James Version says she has an issue of blood. She's got something that makes her ceremonially unclean. Now, if you were bleeding like that, you could not be in the camp. So you had to be 150 feet away from anybody, and you would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. Here's a woman walking around with shame. Here's a, here's a woman who's a social outcast, but she sees Jesus coming. And here's what she knows. I can't. Go talk to Jesus, because number one, I'm a woman. Number two, I'm ceremonially unclean. But she said this, if I can touch the hem of his garment, then I can be healed. So what she does is she crawls through that crowd, and she just gets a touch from the hem of Jesus' garment, and then she gets healed. Well, she's excited. She's going about her way, and then Jesus is going to stop. Now, you got to imagine, you know, thousands of people everywhere around, and he says, somebody touch me. Now, his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. But Jesus says, no, I need you guys to stop, collaborate, and listen with me for a moment. All right. Like, all my 35-year-olds, you got that, brother. That's all right. <laughs> the older I get, the more I realize that I'm like, oh, I got to 
say in this situation. Anyway, the point about is he says, somebody touch me. And he sees this woman. And this woman who culture calls unclean. This woman who our traditional rabbi would have never stopped and talked to. The, the kind of elitist rabbis, they would not even speak to their own daughters or wives in public. Jesus stops and says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus relates to this woman and he gives her confidence. This is why I love Jesus is because he was radical and relatable. But at the same time, he was radical because he confronted the hypocrisy and the false teachings of the rabbis of his day. So, for example, they were teaching that if you wanted to follow God, you had to keep all the 613 laws in the law of Moses. And then they added their own laws, and Jesus always contradicted them. There's a time where he does this, and in Matthew chapter 6, where you, you are in, you're kind of in the middle of this sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous and longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus. I actually, this year, earlier this year, I got to go to the land of Israel, and I stood on the mountain where Jesus gave that sermon. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to confront these false beliefs, and he starts off by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit. See, that doesn't sound that radical to us. But if you're living in that culture, religiously, they would say, no, you're blessed as you're rich in spirit. If you keep all the laws, but Jesus says, no, if you struggle from time to time, if you feel like you don't measure up, you are a candidate for the kingdom of God. Do we have any poor in spirit people up in here? Okay, that was the other service. But anyway, the, the point of the matter is, is Jesus relates to those people. But he's going to say something in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 that's fascinating. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25. Jesus says these words to the crowd who's listening to him. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Now, when I was studying this passage, I thought to myself that this is easier to follow the younger you are. Because the younger you are, you don't have to worry about the clothes that you're going to wear or the food that you're going to drink or the food that you're going to eat because your parents are taking care of it. Can I get an amen from my parents up in here? But the older you get, you start worrying about stuff. You start worrying about the clothes you're going to wear. You start worrying about the food you're going to eat. You know, um, when I was buying this shirt, because I'm kind of in that midlife stage. When I went to try this shirt on, I tried it on a smaller size first. And it was uncomfortable. So I'm tucking my gut in and everything like that. And then there was this lady walking by, and I just said, hey, what do you think about this shirt? Do you think... I should stay with this or go with a smaller, or, you know, go with the size up. And she looked at me with that kind of shaking her head like, you know you need to go up to another size. <laughs> so I just want to talk to all my midlife folks. Don't be in denial, man. It's all right. It's all good. But anyway, uh, the point of the matter is that Jesus says, don't worry, though. Don't worry about that. And then he continues by saying this. If we continue in there in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Now, that's a powerful thought. Worry is something most of us do, but it is one of the most useless activities under heaven. To be worried all the time. And, and I'm just going to ask you, just starting off here, what are you worried about? 
For some of you, you came to church worried. You were distracted in worship because you're worried about something. Worry is that thing that keeps nagging at you, that keeps messing with you. Some of you are worried about your kids right now. Some of you teenagers are worried about your parents right now. Some of you young adults who are graduating and you're moving to the next stage of life, you're worried about your future and who you're going to marry. She says, don't worry. It's not going to help you. It's not going to move your life forward in any kind of way. Now, the word he's going to use for worry there in Greek is the word Miriam nao. It means to have a distracting care. To have a distracting care. See, one of the reasons Jesus would say don't worry is because you miss the priority of your life. The priority of your life, Jesus would say, if you keep down in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he would say, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, and all these other things would be added to you. So the priority of my life should be seeking God, focusing on him, getting to know him, and if I chase him, he will bring the other things to pass in my life. But when I'm not chasing him, what ends up happening is I end up feeling like I'm chasing my tail, and there's some of you, you're in that place right now, you're just trying to get ahead, you're, you're chasing finances and food and, and clothing and all those things. And Jesus don't focus on that. So what he's going to do right here in Matthew chapter 6 is he's going to give us a principle to not worry. But in John chapter 14 and John chapter 20, Jesus is going to give us a promise of peace. So I'm not going to have you look it up, but in John chapter 14, Jesus is getting to the end of his life. He's lived a perfect life. He's, he's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. But the reason Jesus came was not to heal the sick and raise the dead. The reason he came was to suffer and die for our sins. And so he's getting ready to go to the cross. He gathers with his disciples in an upper room. And so John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 is what we call the upper room discourse. And he shares this with his disciples. He says in verse 14, verse 27, he says, My peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. It's my peace I'm leaving to you. Now, for his disciples, they're celebrating the Passover. This is a festival that they've been celebrating for 14, 1500 years or so. You're wondering, why is he saying that? Well, he knows something they should know. Is that life is about to get hard. He's about to suffer. He's about to die. He's about to go to the cross. But he says, I'm going to leave something to you. Something of value. Now, I think most of us in this room have had somebody in our lives pass on. And typically when they do, they leave us something of value. So many times that would be like a family heirloom. Or sometimes people will leave to us like an inheritance. Jesus, here's what I know you're going to need, peace. Peace. My peace is what I leave to you. And I just want to say for some of you who came to church today, here's what God wants to say to you, peace. He wants to say peace to your finances. You're like, how is it going to work out? And what's going to happen with this job? Jesus says peace. For, for some of you young adults, you're, you're worried about your future. Jesus would say peace. For some of you couples, you've been fighting, and you've got so much going on, and you're, you're going, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know what to do. Would the pastor, tell me something that God is saying, and God would say, peace, peace. And this is what he's going to say before he goes to the cross. But in John chapter 20, verse 19, this is what he's going to say after he's risen from the grave. So what the Bible says is on the first day of the week, Jesus is gathered with his disciples, or actually the disciples are gathered by themselves, and they're in fear of the Jewish leaders. Which, by the way, that's how a lot of people live their lives, in fear. Fear of this big, bad world, that it's going to mess them up, it's going to mess up their family. And so they're locked in fear of the Jews. 
Because you know what they're thinking? Jesus, our Messiah, he's been crucified. And if he's first, then we are next. That's what they're thinking. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to show up. And here's what's so cool about Jesus. He didn't even use the door. After three days, he defeats sin, hell, and the grave. After three days, he looks at the grave. He says, bye, bye, Felicia. He rises up from the grave. And then he's going to say, peace, I leave with you. Peace. Peace. But he didn't change the situation. And somebody needs to hear this because you're waiting to have peace when the situation works out. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm giving you peace right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of that job situation that's driving you crazy, you don't need it to change. You need to change. You need to receive the peace of God. As you're walking through that crisis with your teenager, God's saying, you just need to have peace in the middle of it. Young folks, God wants you to have peace right as you're walking through all the stuff with your family. Peace is what Jesus says. So here's what I want you to follow me. So in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives us the principle, don't worry. And Johnny gives us the promise of peace. But what Paul's going to give us in Philippians chapter 4, he's going to give us the process to get to peace. Because what Jesus said, this peace is available to you, but you've got to choose to not let your heart be troubled. You've got to choose to not be afraid. Because fear comes knocking at your door every day. There's all types of things to be afraid and worried about. So I want to look at this in Philippians chapter 4. So go with me to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to say these words. We're going to start in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is noble, or whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you've learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Jesus says, I, I want you to live in peace. But Paul says there's a process to get to peace. Because if you were a Jew in the first century, you had a lot of stuff to be worried about. You had a lot of stuff to be worried about because they were living with a Jewish corrupt system. They had taxes that they had to worry about because the Romans overtaxed them. Then oftentimes their own religious leaders, or, or not necessarily religious leaders, but tax collectors who were Jewish would then even overtax them even more. So they had a lot to be worried about. And Jesus promised peace, but Paul says, here's how you get to peace. Number one, is he says in verse 4 and 5, he says it starts with right believing right believing. He's going to lay out some Christian beliefs that we as followers of Christ should have. Number one, he says in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. What Paul is saying is that you and I, every day as followers of Christ, we have a choice to rejoice. We can choose to rejoice because our joy is not based on what's going on around us, it's based on Jesus who lives in us. So he says, Choose joy. That's a belief. I can choose joy. But then number two, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That, that as a, a follower of Christ, 
I'm supposed to choose gentleness because I believe that God is the one who ultimately judges. See, there's some of you in this room right now, and you don't have peace because you have a relational discord. And the more aggressive you become, the more you lose your peace. Whereas Paul would say, no, 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 be gentle. Be gentle because when I'm gentle, I'm trusting God to make the situation right. Now, I've just got to admit that this is a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. You know, when I was given a message similar to this at my church in Michigan, I'm getting ready to get up and preach, and, and I'm excited about preaching. I'm pumped up about preaching, and so I, I get in my car, and I'm driving to the church, and I live in the country, so I'm on this back road. You know, you got the two-lane highway, and there's this guy in front of me, and he's driving slow. When I say slow, I'm talking about grandma slow, and which, by the way, if you're a grandma, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the lady in the other section. So he's driving super slow. Well, I get up real close behind him, and the reason I get up close behind him is I was trying to give him a little bit of motivation to drive a little bit faster. You know what I'm talking about? So I get it real close up behind him, and he's still driving slow. Well, he turns on his left turning signal, and I think, good, this guy's going to turn off, and I'm going to go around. Well, he keeps on driving slow. Then he turns on his right turning signal, and he's still driving slow. So I'm thinking, man, this guy here, I don't know what's wrong with him. Well, as he starts to veer right, I speed up, and I go around him. And this guy swerves over kind of in my lane to say, hey, I'm mad that you're going around me. And I'm thinking, man, that guy's got an issue. Well, I keep on driving. I'm, I'm driving passionate to get to church. And by that, I mean I was speeding. So I'm driving real passionate. And I go past this other guy, and the guy flipped me off. And so I just did what you would do. I flipped him back off. Hey. By the way, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> Somebody just woke up in the back and like, man, we like that, that guy. Anyway, so... <laughs> which just has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But um, I was telling the story at, at one church I was at, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, you know something, I had something like that similar happen. He said, I was driving, and a guy had a bumper sticker that says, honk if you love Jesus. So I honked, and the guy flipped me off. And so I was like, <laughs> he obviously was borrowing that car. <laughs> anyway, um, but, but, you know, so, so I get to the church, and I'm feeling like, mm, all of this stuff going on. And so I'm about to preach on peace, and I got all this stuff going on inside me. And I felt like God spoke to me. He said, Keith, if you're going to preach about peace, you got to live in peace. But you get tested with this. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Every day you get tested, are you going to choose peace? Are you going to try to fix situations in your own ability? So Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a Christian belief. And then lastly, he's going to say, for the Lord is near. Which means that one of the reasons that I live in confidence and one of the reasons that I don't have to fight my own cases is because God's going to fight my battles. And this world is not my home. Jesus is coming back. But here's what's true when it comes to people who say that they follow Jesus is when people say that they're Christians, the word Christian doesn't mean the same thing for everybody. Like, there's this book that I'm reading right now. Our teaching team in our church is reading called Christians in the Age of Outrage by Dr. Ed Setzer. And in this book, he categorizes three types of Christians. He says there's three types of Christians in this country. Number one, there's what he calls cultural Christians. These are people who say that they're followers of Jesus, but in name only. They say they're followers of Jesus because they believe that more than they believe anything else. But it's not that they're living out their faith. Then he says there are congregational Christians. 
These are people who show up at church, but the scripture never makes it out of the seed into practice in their life. But then he says they're convictional Christians. This is the kind of person I want to be. That when I feel anger, when I feel anxiety, that I say no to it and I say yes to peace. What Paul is saying is these are the kind of people who have the peace of God in their life. So he says it starts with right believing, but you got to move from right believing to right praying. In verse 6 and 7, he says don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. But then he says there's a kind of way to pray. He says pray with thanksgiving. Can I tell some of you why your prayers aren't working? Let me try that one more time. Because I know you guys got lunch coming. Can I tell you why some of your prayers are not working? It's because oftentimes we pray self-centered prayers instead of praying grateful prayers. When I begin to pray with thanksgiving, it changes how I perceive what God is doing and how I receive what he's trying to give me. See, when I'm praying, God, it's not fair. It's all about me. It's all about me. What happens is that's the kind of prayer that God says, you know something, I love you. But I can't answer you the way I want to answer you because you can't receive it correctly. But what Paul says is when you pray with thanksgiving, it allows God to meet you in the middle of what you're walking through because I see the bigger picture. You know, in my own life, this has been a really interesting year. Uh, When I talked to Pastor Adam, he said, hey, tell me how things going. And my answer was, how long do you have? Because there's two parts of this year for me. On one hand, I would say that this has been a miracle year. Had the chance to travel, speak at some incredible uh, conferences. I got the chance to go to Israel, our church. And I'm not bragging. I'm just talking about bragging on Jesus. We had 14,000 people on Easter. I mean, just incredible things God was doing. But in the middle of that, there's also been some real challenges. At the beginning of the year, we did a series at our church called Don't Give Up. And I looked at our congregation and I said, for some of you, this is going to be the most important series you hear all year, not knowing that I was going to be one of those people who were going to need that. Because at the end of January, I got real sick. And when I say sick, not something like uh, fatal, but just like this, this huge cold with like flu-like symptoms. So it kind of took me down for a little bit. And as I'm recovering from that, the next weekend I was off from preaching and my wife gets a call from her mom. And by the end of this call, she is in tears. I mean, she's not just in tears, she's bawling. And I know whatever happened on the other side of that line, it cannot be good, and it's about to affect the rest of my year. And when she gets off the phone, she says, that was my mom, my dad just died. Abruptly. No, like he's getting worse, and we're going to go see him in the hospital. He's gone. So next thing you know, I'm going to deal with that. We, we drive two hours, I, I, I do the funeral, I'm still recovering from this situation. And then in the middle of that as well, my daughter got diagnosed with this learning disability. And here's what you guys know as parents. A lot of people have stuff, but when you as a parent, there's something that hits you, and I'm just sitting there thinking, God, this isn't fair. This is supposed to be the best year of my life, because I used to see life like mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys. But here's kind of what I'm learning about life is it's more like train tracks. Like, there are good things that are happening and there are bad things that are happening oftentimes at the same time. And as I begin to pray and I begin to seek God during this time, I made a switch for my prayers from just going, God, give me, give me. So, Lord, I want to be thankful in the midst of what I'm walking through. 
And so here's what I did. You can, do, you can pray however you want to pray. But what I did was I made a list of all the good things that God had done in my life. And I, and I do this regularly now. And a list of the challenges that I've been walking through. And what I noticed is there's more good things than bad things. And in your life, for some of you, you've had a year like mine. On one hand, you could say you had some really great things happening. You've had some real challenges happen. But what I can tell you is God is good in the midst of what you're walking through. And when you just start being thankful, not for everything, but in everything, you will begin to see peace in your life. So then he's going to move from, he says, there's right believing, right praying. And then he's going to say, then you've got to move into right thinking. Right thinking. In verse 8, he's going to say, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right. Think on these things. See, can I ask you this question? How often do you think about what you think about? Some of you are like, I don't know, bro. You just went over my head here. But the point of the matter is most of us don't evaluate what goes through our mind. And we just let stuff hit our mind. And we get, like, we just live in these dark places. And what Paul would say, no, no, no. You've got to be aggressive in your thinking if you're going to have peace. You've got to choose it. And what he's going to do is he's going to give us these eight questions in verse 8 to ask ourselves to say, are you thinking peaceful thoughts? He says, number one, are you thinking about what, what you're thinking about? Number one, is it true? It's possible some of you are living in fear, depression, and anxiety because you're believing things that are not true. Let me give you a couple examples. Like God could never forgive you. Like you're always going to be like your dad and your granddad and everybody else in your life. No, no, no. You've got to stand on God's truth. Number two, he asks the question, is it noble? Is it noble? Am I thinking God's kind of thoughts? Or am I allowing this world to influence me to think negative thoughts? But then here's another one. Is what I'm thinking about, is it right? Is it right? Here's what tends to happen to us when we're in dark times. Is what is wrong starts looking right, and we justify it because we're in a dark place. See, there's some of you don't have peace right now because you have inner conflict. Because you're in this dark time in your life, and, and there's something that you know is wrong, but you're telling yourself it's right. And what Paul says is, you know, don't give in to that. Be aggressive about truth. And then you say, is it pure? Is it pure? And then the, the next question, is it lovely what I'm thinking about? Is it based on God's love? Here's a thought for you. Love, Scripture says, always believes the best. So, for some of you, one of the reasons you have so much relational challenges is because you always assume the worst. Somebody doesn't say hi to you, mm, I knew she was stuck up, mm, forget her anyway, it's all good. And so what happens is, you've got this, you're believing the worst, and what it, what it causes you, people can't get close to you because you have this negativity. Believe the best. Now, I tried this the other day because, you know, I was telling you, a guy flipped me off when, when I was driving. I just told myself, I'm going to believe the best for him. Maybe he was telling me that I'm number one. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, I was going to say something else, but that's not for this uh, service. Anyway, uh, then, then he's going to say number, number uh, I guess we're at uh, six, seven, eight, or whatever it is. He says, is it admirable? Is it excellent? And is it praiseworthy? Is it admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy? If you start managing your mind, Paul says you can have peace. But then here's the last thing he's going to say is you've got to move from right thinking to right living. In verse 9, he's going to say, whatever you've seen, whatever you've heard in me put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Let me give you a newsflash. 
God never leaves you, but you feel his presence more when you're living correctly. So he says, live the correct way. Because God wants to give you peace, but you've got to participate with the process. You know, um, as I was thinking about this message, when, when Paul says, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you, you, you've observed in my life, put it into practice, I thought about the idea that we all need a mentor of peace. We all need somebody to help us think correctly when we're thinking the wrong way. Because we all have these challenges and these opportunities to think the wrong way. So at my church, we have four main teaching pastors, and we have three main campuses, and then we have one that's a video campus, so whoever's at the main campus is preaching to the video campus. So what that means then is typically one of us four are always off. Well, so as we rotate through the campuses, we get mixed kind of feedback, and I remember at this one particular campus I was preaching at, a guy came up to me after the Saturday night service, so this guy waited to talk to me after service, and he came up to me and he says, hey, Pastor Keith, I just want to let you know, I love you. But my sister was here the last time you were here, and she hated your message from start to finish. Like, as soon as you started talking, she hated it. And I just want to let you know that. And by the way, she'll be here tomorrow. And he walks off. I'm thinking, who does that? And then I was like, tell your sister, I don't like her either. Um, go to the other campus. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's still working on me. But anyway. Um, but here's what happened with that is I had a choice, just like you have a choice. When people say negative things to you, sometimes they don't even mean it. Am I going to live in that reality, or am I going to believe what God says about me? But in order for me to believe what God says about me, I need people around me to remind me of what Jesus says. And, and that, that's why I love Pastor Adam and Ms. Jamie. I've been knowing them almost 25 years, and I've had seasons throughout the years where it gets dark. There, there's times where, where you go through moments where, where life kind of shakes you up a little bit and you kind of wonder, do I still have it? And what I love is oftentimes Pastor Adam, I, man, this messed with me, but I, I remember I went to this retreat several years ago and Pastor Adam made me a video and he says, Keith, you're a man of God. You're going to change the world. God's going to do great things in your life. And that was a season of darkness for me. But you've got to have people in your life who will call you to the best. And, and I just want to say this as I get ready to close. That work, that's why you need to be in a small group. Because you need people around you to remind you who you are. When you're tempted to do dumb things, you need somebody to remind you to say, don't go there. Don't sacrifice your destiny for the moment. You need people around you to call the best out of you. So I want to end with what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. It says, my peace I leave to you. My peace. My question for you is, are you going to live in that peace are you going to live with all the anxiety and all the worry? It is radical to live in peace, but it's better to live in peace. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, I thank you for my friends and family here at Church on the Hill. So amazing to see what you've done in this church over the last few years, how you've grown and how you've uh, helped people take next steps with God. I pray you would meet each and every one of them here today. I would assume that there are some of them who came today and they're worried about something they're worried about their family they're worried about their kids i pray you would meet them today like only you can will you guys stand up on your feet with me i'm gonna pray a prayer of peace over you god i pray for every person who's here under the sound of my voice that you would make them instruments of your peace i pray that they would live in peace that they would walk in peace 
and they will not allow the problems of this world to steal their peace, but they will be people of peace who spread that everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow your heads with me for just a couple more moments? I want to give a call for anyone who might would say, Pastor, I got to be honest, I don't have internal peace because I'm away from God. Maybe the truth is, is that for something terrible to happen and you were to die today, maybe you feel as though you wouldn't be accepted into heaven. I even look something like this, standing before Jesus and looking you in the eye and saying, why did you keep pushing me away? I kept trying to reach you. I kept sending people to talk to you. Friend, I'll tell you, today's not a day to push Jesus away. If you've been living sin, if you've been outside of a relationship with the living God, he's not mad at you, he doesn't hate you, he longs to have a relationship with you, you're here today, that's huge, that's proof that you want God in your life, the Bible says it like this, if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, isn't that amazing? He said, well, that's all I have to do? Well, yeah, because he did all the heavy lifting 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross for our sins. He paid it for it. I teach people that all the time. He paid it for every sin you'll ever commit, every sin you've ever already committed, and every sin you'll ever commit in the future. Jesus has already prepaid it. There's an account with your name on it. He said, oh, that's awesome. How do I access that? Well, I just told you, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ. In that engagement, Making Jesus your best friend. Making him the Lord of your life. Life comes into right order. Today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian or you used to be and you feel like you've walked away from the Lord, you feel like you're separated, maybe you feel like you're divorced, I want to give you good news. He's longing and welcoming you home. Of all the ways that Jesus could have died, he died on a cross. And all the years he could have come to the planet, He came to the planet in a time where the Romans would crucify that which was the most horrid enemies. Jesus is stretched out on this tree, forever the symbol of welcoming all who would come. That's who he is. And today he welcomes you into his life, into his kingdom, if you'll but allow him to be your Lord and Savior. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you say, Pastor, that's me. You're talking about me. I'm not a Christian. I'm away from God. I want to come home. Would you let me pray with you? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you. This is a deep, private decision which has eternal effects. Eternal effects. But here and now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're away from Jesus, if you're not a Christian, would you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you say, Pastor, that's me, you're talking about me, then let me pray with you. And I want you to acknowledge that to yourself, to heaven, and to me as the pastor, by just simply slipping up your hand right where you're at. Say, Pastor, that's me, pray for me. I'm ready to get right with the Lord. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Amen, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You and Jesus, thank you. Thank you, brother. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to change. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for being real. I love to be around real people. Thank you for being authentic. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, if I die today, I'm I'm not ready to meet God, but I'm ready for change. I want it to change here and now. Yes, ma'am, I saw you. Two more seconds, and then we'll move on. 
Anyone else? Pastor, pray. It's time. I'm ready. Okay, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You can put your hands down. I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance right where you're standing. I don't think there's anything magical about the words we're about to pray. I think what's supernatural is you said, yeah, I need God. I think it's supernatural that you got here. I think there have been all kinds of micro miracles that got you here today, that your heart was open, that you, that you, that you heard about the peace of God that we should walk in and, and that is accessible by you. I, I think that your heart was pounding in your chest as we were even worshiping because you longed to be with Jesus. And today, as we pray, it's all going to shift. I want to lead you in this prayer of repentance prayer of dedication. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hand. And those of you who lifted your hand, I need you to mean this with all of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've sinned against you. But here and now, I ask you, please forgive me. I accept what you did on the cross for me. And here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this day forward, I am yours, and I will serve you. I declare Jesus is my best friend, and I will serve you forever. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment as I pray over you? Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand, for those who prayed what we call the sinner's prayer, who came back to you or made you their Lord for the first time. Lord, I pray they would sense and know that they are forgiven. I pray that they would understand that they don't have to perform for you. They don't have to give money to the church to be forgiven. They don't have to go and do good deeds and help the homeless to be forgiven. They are forgiven because they cried out to you. You have washed them clean. And Lord, when the moments come and they feel like, oh, you know what, you know, I, I didn't really, I don't know if I really meant it, that those lies would just be smushed by the truth that they are forgiven. And when the thoughts come and the enemy attacks their thoughts, says, oh, you didn't really mean it. See, you're, you're falling down again. Let's see, I may fall, but I'm getting back up. And I may be not perfect, but I am forgiven. And I may make mistakes, but I am a son. I am a daughter of the Most High God. Let this reality become their reality. And Jesus, I speak peace and joy over them now. And we thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name.